Matt Kibbe here, your host at Kibbe on Liberty. The building behind me is where the Mont Pelerin Society meeting is being held. This, of course, is a famous gathering of mostly Austrian economists founded by Frederick Hayek. It is also the place where in 1944, the so-called Bretton Woods Agreement was hatched up by the infamous John Maynard Keynes and a guy named Harry Dexter White, who was a treasury official under FDR, later discovered to be a Soviet spy. So you can imagine how this central plan to control our currency turned out in the long run. It was the death knell to the gold standard and, and it has created all sorts of chaos ever since. I'm gonna be talking to some of the brightest brains here not just about monetary policy, not just about the Bretton Woods Agreement, but where Liberty was then, where it is today, and how we move forward. Check it out. Larry, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Matt. So you are a professor at George Mason University. Correct. Um, and you just told me, it's not like I know this, but since 2009. Right. And when I was a young graduate student, um, you were the guy that we went to to understand free banking and, and broadly sort of Austrian theory of, of, of money and monetary policy. And you just gave a lecture here at Mont Pelerin. I'm doing a series of conversations with folks who are members of the Mont Pelerin Society, um, but you are uniquely positioned to explain to, to us why we're in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire on a mountaintop um, because a very notorious bad thing happened here in the <laughs> 1940s. What was that? Yeah, so in summer of 1944, I think it was 44 nations, some, some number like that, met here to determine the fate of the international monetary system. Uh, why exactly they chose Bretton Woods, New Hampshire, I'm not entirely sure, but there's a big hotel here uh, that I guess wasn't occupied because it was during the war and people couldn't travel much even within the U.S. Jekyll Island wasn't available. Possibly, but that's, you know, dangerously close to the coast and the German U-boats. Yeah, uh, fair. <laughs> Whereas here, uh, we're pretty far from the coast and uh, any enemy uh, movement would be sighted a long way off. Uh, but delegates from many nations gathered to talk about what was going to follow the interwar monetary chaos that had followed the First World War. So after the First World War, the, the war had killed the classical gold standard, which worked quite well, but central banks didn't want to undo the inflation they had caused during the First World War. Many of them didn't want to devalue either, so they tried to play games and tricks to reduce the demand for gold since they had so little gold left and they had issued so much money. Uh, and there's a variety of competitive devaluations and so-called beggar thy neighbor policies and trade restrictions and financial restrictions to keep from the, the bankruptcy of the various systems from being exposed. So the meeting at Bretton Woods uh, had basically the United States calling the shots because the U.S. came through the Second World War without any bomb damage. Uh, and the rest of Europe, uh, many countries, but especially Europe, owed the U.S. a lot of money from for aid and lend-lease programs and, and whatnot. So the U.S. Uh, basically 
dictated the terms of the Bretton Woods Agreement, although John Maynard Keynes, who led the British delegation, had other ideas. He wanted a smaller role for gold. Uh, the U.S. delegation, led by Harry Dexter White, no relation, of the U.S. Treasury. Absolutely no relation. Uh, set up a system where the U.S. dollar was the key currency of the system. So the U.S. dollar was supposed to be redeemable for gold at $35 an ounce. Not for U.S. citizens, that had been ended during the Depression, but for foreign central banks. And then foreign central banks would have a peg to the dollar. Their own currencies would be fixed to the dollar, but then they didn't need to hold gold reserves. They just needed dollar reserves. So it, it economized on the amount of gold the system needed. At Kibbe on Liberty, freedom is a lifestyle 24-7, something you live and breathe and wear every day. If that describes you, you need the very best Liberty swag in the market today. Just like this shirt I happen to be wearing. Go to freethepeople.org slash KOL and check out our exciting merch. You too can love Liberty and look cool. So the, the, the goal was not to sort of, uh, quote, pay for the war and, and rein in spending and, and get back to a fiscally responsible small government position. It was to to keep that, that inflated monetary system propped up. That's right. And it would have been nice if it provided fiscal constraints, but it didn't. And it was really an internally contradictory system. And this is pretty much understood uh, even by mainstream economists that the Bretton Woods system had contradictory objectives. One was to let central banks do more in the way of Keynesian activist monetary policy running whatever monetary policy they thought was appropriate to fight depressions, for example, uh, but on the other hand, to maintain fixed exchange rates. And you can't do both of those unless you shut down the ability to exchange your currency for the thing it's pegged to, because if you print too much money, your local currency, your domestic currency, is going to buy less than the U.S. dollar converted at the official exchange rate, Everybody's going to want to convert. You're going to run out of dollar reserves. So the actual operation of the Bretton Woods system, once exchange controls were pretty much lifted by the late 50s, was a series of devaluations where countries would inflate more than the U.S. Their currency couldn't hold its value. They lost their dollar reserves. They had to repeg. Uh, and the Bretton Woods Conference set up an institution to help them with these problems known as the International Monetary Fund. Right, so the International Monetary Fund was designed to either provide loans to countries that needed to borrow money to defend their peg or to give them permission uh, to change their peg. So uh, during the Bretton Woods Conference, John Maynard Keynes had a heart attack. Uh, you may have heard that story. Uh, he's, he hung on a few more years before he died Harry Dexter White, who led the U.S. delegation, was called before Congress to testify about how he'd been passing secrets to the Soviets. He had a heart attack on the way to one of those hearings, and he died. The Bretton Woods system died in 1971 when Nixon shut the gold window, but the IMF lives on. Yeah. <laughs> it had to reinvent itself because its reason for being no longer is there. I, like, I wonder, um, and you, you'll have to speculate, but was the, the contradictory goals 
was this just a political compromise to hold this this whole scheme together or was it designed to fail so that the the, the currencies would be ultimately permanently disconnected from gold well uh, everything but the US dollar was permanently disconnected Already. from gold uh, in the original agreements there seems to have been little consideration of the risk that the US would take advantage of its exorbitant privilege, as it later became called, of issuing dollars and just exporting them to the rest of the world. So getting goods and services in exchange for just claims and then trying to put off redemption of those claims. But the U.S. eventually issued more money than uh, was consistent with $35 an ounce. So in the 50s, U.S. monetary policy was pretty responsible. Inflation rates were below 2%. And so only gradually was the dollar losing value against gold. But in the 60s, inflation kept creeping upward until by, uh, and so the U.S. Treasury kept losing gold to foreign central banks. And by the time Nixon shut the gold window, there was only a couple of months of gold left. And and that was sort of the end for, for any sort of value-based currency, and now it's just paper. That's right. So now we have floating exchange rates among currencies that have no fundamental value. They're fiat currencies. They're currencies by decree. Uh, But going back to your previous question, I think it's a lot of wishful thinking uh, in ignoring this built-in flaw to the system, which was it gave the U.S. an incentive to take advantage of its position in such a way that it's going to lead to the breakdown of the system. This was the height of, of Keynes's power, though, so there was... Right, so even the U.S. delegation wanted more discretion for U.S. monetary policy. Everybody was a Keynesian in macroeconomics, as Nixon once said. Yeah, you, you told me that this morning when you were speaking, you didn't tell me, you told us, that um, Hayek sort of, I'm exaggerating, but he threw up his hands because Keynes was already the rock star... Right. And, and Hayek's um, more grounded view of, of monetary policy had already been dismissed because they were they were enthralled with this this I, kind of a central planning idea like we can we can pull all these levers and manipulate right. our, our way to prosperity forever. Yeah, it's certainly an expert-based system, uh, and the experts though couldn't stop the incentives that they created from having their final effect. Eventually, um, I forget, was it law, legislation, and liberty where you pulled a quote from, I think, but I could be completely confused. I think I am with a different law talk, but eventually he would write the denationalization of money Right. when it was suddenly safe for him to express this counter view. Yeah, so uh, what I said was that Hayek had given up trying to influence his fellow economists on monetary policy and international monetary relations because... Bretton, they were all in love with Bretton Woods, and Bretton Woods was contrary to what he thought was viable. Uh, he turned out to be right in the long run, but he didn't say much at all about money. Now, you mentioned the law, legislation, and liberty. There, was, there are a couple of footnotes in the Constitution of Liberty where Hayek says, well, uh, government shouldn't place any obstacles in the way of their citizens who want to own gold which was the law in the U.S. U.S. citizens couldn't own gold, uh, monetary gold. They could own jewelry, but not monetary gold until it was re-legalized after Bretton Woods broke down. Uh, 
uh, and they shouldn't put any obstacles in the way of their citizens owning whatever foreign currency they want to hold. Uh, so that's 1960, and that's kind of the germ from which the denationalization of money eventually grew. Yeah. The So let's fast forward to today. Why on earth are we still talking about Bretton Woods? Um, the um, act in 1971 delinking gold completely from the dollar has to be the basis for a lot of this um, chaos that we see today, like just just expand and endless expansion of the money supply, right. um, seeming seemingly modern monetary theory and all this craziness that we didn't even imagine back then. Yeah. So where are we today? On the one hand, Nixon closing the gold window was a symptom that the Fed was already off the rails, but since the gold window was closed, it's gone further off the rails. That is, there's no tangible constraint uh, on wild swings in monetary policy. The Fed does have a nominal commitment to a 2% inflation target, but as they keep explaining, well, it's a, an average inflation target. It's a flexible average inflation target, so we're not going to get back to 2% anytime soon nor are we going to undershoot in order to make up for all the time we've spent above 2%, which means that it's not really an average inflation target. There's still a lot of guesswork about what the purchasing power of the dollar is going to be 5 or 10 or 20 years from now. Thank you for joining me today on Kibbe on Liberty and for being part of our fiercely independent audience. Every week, my organization, Free the People, partners with Blaze TV to bring you this show. My guests bring smart perspectives on everything from current events to timeless philosophical debates. If you like what you hear, go to freethepeople.org slash KOL and support Kibbe on Liberty so we can continue to produce these honest conversations with interesting people. Now, let's get back to it. So you're you're one of the pioneers of, of, of free banking theory um, and, and very much from an Austrian perspective. What should we do and, and is there any hope that we would actually do it how would we fix the mess it just certainly didn't start at Bretton Woods but it was it was maybe the final nail in the coffin well it's it's going to be difficult to do it in the usual way of spreading good ideas and having them picked up uh, there are lots of organized interests who benefit from the welfare warfare state who don't want constraints on the federal budget or the ability of the Fed to monetize federal debt. Uh, but there is some hope that from the bottom up, people will put themselves back on the gold standard or people will adopt some kind of cryptocurrency standard if they find one that gives them stable valued money. I, I don't think Bitcoin is a very good candidate for that just because of the way it's designed gives it great volatility in its price. Uh, but the same blockchain technology that Bitcoin introduced makes it now easier to transfer gold ownership. That can be done just as easily as uh, buying and selling Bitcoin. Now, I, I don't expect much to change until inflation gets worse. Uh, if you look at countries that where people put themselves on a new monetary standard, like countries that spontaneously dollarize, it's because inflation gets into double digits with no prospect of coming down. Uh, so if that happens in the U.S., then it's going to be important not to have legal obstacles against people putting themselves on the gold standard the way people dollarize in high inflation countries. Yeah, there's, 
Um, you, you surely know this quote better than I do, but but all the crypto enthusiasts, um, Austrians, look at that that famous Hayek quote from. I just heard it quoted in one yeah, of our sessions. We all yeah. quote it, so I can I can almost quote it where he says that you know, and I'll, I'll put it in Ron Paul language. We're probably not going to end the Fed, but if we could find some sort of sneaky way to work around the yes. Feds, that's how we will reform and denationalize money. Yeah, some, some I, I forget what it was, sneaky or tricky or clever, but something that we can get off the ground before they know what's happening, before they're able to stop it. Yeah. So it's kind of like an Uber strategy. Right. It's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. I got. I got to believe. Like I, I'm not um, a, an expert on crypto, but I got to believe the hyperbolic statements from the Elizabeth Warrens of the world and the Hillary Clintons about about the evils of of cryptocurrency. Tell me that they think this might be a problem for them and their grand schemes and and their endless war financing state. Yes, and uh, especially Elizabeth Warren really wants to have her hands on the controls of the financial system and make sure that her people get appointed to the top spots. And, of course, she created the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and then put its financing out of the reach of Congress, which was quite a trick. So it's financed directly by the Fed. Uh, so last question, because you actually got to get downstairs and do a panel. but. Uh it's it's in, and tell me if this observation is right, but it, it seems to me that that the Bretton Woods scheme, this this central plan to, to globally manage um, currency markets, was a way to not finance the war that they were currently in, currently getting out of, and the net result has been an irresponsible flow of cash into endless wars ever since. Well, that's right. So although the meeting was here in 1944. Bretton Woods didn't actually get off the ground until 1947, and the war was over at that point. Uh, if you look at how much of U.S. government spending is financed by the Fed's contribution to the budget, it's not all that great. Yeah, It's only 2% or so. Uh, but it does enable deficit financing with less immediate consequences for interest rates. So the Fed can buy the debt, and then the market doesn't have to absorb it. If the market had to absorb it, you'd see a rise in interest rates, and that would upset people. It would make the, the cost of the war more obvious. I don't know if you know, Adam Smith once proposed, and David Ricardo picked it up later, that wars should not be allowed to be financed with debt. They should be financed entirely with current taxes so that the public would see the expense of these endless wars. In his day, it was British government extending colonialism and empire, which he thought was a big waste of money. Yeah. Um, it's so reasonable we will never do that. <laughs> <laughs> so somewhere, I, I, I have to dig this up. When I was in graduate school and, and we had discovered your work and, and a number of other uh, young Austrians, I wrote a paper called uh, Lawyers, Guns, and Money. And the thesis was that, that uh, paper money and expansionist monetary policies were, in fact, creating more wars. And I think it's true. It, there's certainly a pattern through history of wars being financed yeah. by money, World War I being a gr great example. What is, uh, what is your upcoming panel on? It's a new book panel, and I'll be plugging my book entitled Better Money, Gold, Fiat, or Bitcoin? Question mark. 
And uh, is that currently out? Yes, that came out a few months ago. Okay, and we can buy that wherever? Amazon or wherever good books are sold. What what other shameless things do you want to flack that, that you're working on right now? Oh, uh, I don't think I have any other commercial products. <laughs> if people want to find your work, though, um, is uh, there... I'm at George Mason University, so you can find me there. Or I have a, a page at the Cato Institute, which keeps up to date with my latest uh, articles for public consumption. Okay, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video subscribe and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.